0: You're about to join Jerry Parker, Marit Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Welcome
1: to another edition of the Systematic Investor Series, where each week we discuss and debate what is going on in the world of rule-based investing right now. My name is Niels Karstow-Larsen, and I'm excited to welcome my co-host, Jerry Parker and Moritz Siebert, for another interesting discussion, I hope. How are you guys?
2: Always good. Very well, thank you. And you?
1: Yes, very well. Enjoying a little bit of autumn weather in Denmark this week, actually. So uh, pretty nice. Um, obviously, a somewhat calmer week uh, this week in the financial markets. Uh, nevertheless, there could have been some interesting return drivers or changes in trends that we might want to just uh, highlight and talk about. Um, so uh, I can kick it off uh, this week uh, for a change. So on our side, really, we um, what we really saw was um, continued reduction in in our equity exposure, um, partly from. Um, reducing long positions in the U.S., where it's really been the only long positions we've had for a while, but then also adding to short positions in, in Europe, which means overall our long positions are uh, somewhat uh, reduced and, 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 and significantly reduced from what they were before the last uh, wobble in the stock markets uh, 10, 15 days or so ago. And um, some reductions in energy, I mean, obviously, the markets have been correcting in the last uh, also ten days or so, and and we see some gradual uh, reductions on that side. Although uh, other sectors have been pretty quiet, uh, maybe fixed income continued weakness in the U.S. Um, has allowed us to uh, take on uh, a little bit more risk on the on the short side in 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 the fixed income side. What about you guys? What have you seen, noted from from your from your systems and models this week?
3: Very uneventful on my side. Really, nothing much happened. Um, you know, steady week, back and forth in some of the markets, but no uh, changes in positions, uh, no reductions in size. So very, very quiet.
1: Okay. What about you, Jerry? Anything exciting going on in in your diversified portfolio?
2: Not really. We <clears throat> had some reductions in the stocks and some new long positions. Uh, it seems that in the stocks, uh, sometimes the the recent worst performers can have a good uh, week or a good day when the markets are weak. Uh, people are looking for bargains and shifting from tech to more boring names and ideas. So, saw a little bit of that long. Disney this week and Continued weakness in some of the tech sector, but pretty quiet. I'm I'm happy for quiet.
1: <laughs> yeah, in our business, sometimes quiet is uh, is often uh, very good. Um, no, that's fine. I mean, f- otherwise, I can add from our side really that uh, in terms of um, return drivers, um, really, you know, fixed income has been the biggest uh, sector, uh, win, uh, overall this week. Uh, and then losses really showed up in, um, in things like energy, um, overall currencies, stocks, uh, and other commodities pretty quiet, maybe with the exception of coffee, coffee seemed to be, you know, heading North now and, and, you know, short positions were hurting a little bit this week, but other than that, um, nothing, nothing much, pretty focused on or pretty concentrated, I should say, on the uh, on the US fixed income and overall a, a positive uh, week, all in all. So um, any interesting themes that you came across um, or sort of uh, news that we want to discuss? We I know we have lots of questions and of course we want to get to, to Jared's tweets, but but before we do that, any other things that you wanted to bring up before we we discussed some of the tweets for this week.
2: Well, I was sort of hopeful that, um, the 500 point rally would stick and we've sort of had a little s- unwarranted sell off and now we're going to go back and we're going to reduce this volatility and it's not going to get crazy anymore, but then the sell off later in the week and then the renewed increase in rates. Uh, so I think we're in the same situation. Um, it could be rock and roll next week with the stock markets seeing, um, lows and uh, we'll see what happens with the dollar it's a big part of our portfolio hopefully uh, that trend continues
1: yeah yeah no absolutely why don't we just uh, jump dive straight to to your tweets I know you you were just mentioning before we started that you might have had the the biggest response of all times to one of your tweets this week so uh, that sounds interesting but uh, we can take them in chronological order or Whatever order you wish uh, to uh, to bring them up today.
2: Yeah, so this one got a lot of responses, probably the mo- most I've ever had. Um, this really speaks to all the pain we all go through and how w- how it really um, ha- what we have to deal with on a daily basis of just sort of uh, waiting for our systems to kick in and do what We hope that they do and. Uh, maybe they'll preserve profit. Maybe we'll give it all back. We don't know. We, we're waiting and we're hoping. Um, so it goes like this. The willingness to allow the current trade's P&L to be determined by the system's rules and not try to stop it, not try to stop the pain, is a necessary and rare quality. It's an illusion that discretionary moves can enhance performance. The current trade seems very important but it's really not in the long run. Uh, we're in the moment, we're losing, clients are complaining, we've got to wait for this exit to hit. Um, if, it, if we do this trade and follow the system, our, history, our experience has been, that'll be a good thing. Uh, it may not work in this particular situation, but I'm in this situation, and I really feel anxious and pain that by following the system, this particular trade may not work out, but I am committed to all of the trades working out and understanding that over time, uh, following my system religiously to, to an, extreme, uh, w- an extreme way will produce the best results. But these results right now seem so important. And maybe if I just liquidated quicker, did a discretionary non-system trade move, Um, I could actually help myself here. And it just sows the seeds for worse performance in the future. And it's an illusion because this trade is not that important. You know, maybe if it is, you're trading too large or you're trading that market too large or you have bad clients. I don't know. But uh, stick with it. And this just resonated with people and that I think that that we all, you know, we're helpless because the clients are like, I don't want do I really want a trader and a manager who is waiting on that dumb computer and just sitting there and is, and cannot move until the uh, system rule gets hit. And so, and we're like, yeah, we kind of feel the same way, even though in the long run, we know that's the best approach. And I feel like that a lot of us feel like we're in this together and we try to encourage each other and, uh, this was just an overwhelming response to something I just had like come out of my brain. It was one of the rare tweets where it wasn't a copy paste from someone's article. Um,
1: yeah, I mean it's so it's so it's it's interesting and it's so true. And I think you definitely hit a nerve with people. And it, it and it's interesting, right? Because we we tell people and and because we believe in it that having rules and having the ability to backtest, get comfortable, understand, you know what what the parameters in terms of risk and reward uh, will most likely look like that's really what we why we you know part of why we embrace the systematic versus the discretionary where you have no way of of backtesting you have no way of knowing yet having all that comfort from the past as you rightly say Jerry it doesn't make it much easier in the moment right um and it's so funny that that the these you know maybe it's just recency maybe it's the fact that we you know we focus so much on recent performance um even if we know to know better so to speak um that 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 bias within us is it's so strong um i don't know i i think it's absolutely true and uh, and and it's something that we have to continue to to discipline ourselves with uh not to get um, emotionally involved any thoughts on your side uh, moritz
3: well i uh absolutely loved that tweet um i retweeted it and liked it um has so much wisdom in it i mean the fact that you know we know that the traits that we do each of those traits has the same expectancy, and the current trade just isn't that important. It's only important because it's happening right now. It's not more important or unimportant than any of the trades we did in the past. And it's so easy to forget that, right? Because you live in the moment right now, you have that trade. Maybe you've sized it too large. That shouldn't happen. But, you know, that's one of the ways that a trade can become too important. But other than that, it's just one trade out of so many that we do that really, um, you know, you shouldn't give it that much attention. So that's, that's just great there. And also the fact that, yes, if you have a system, if you run that system, just go with it. A Even a basic mediocre system, I believe, following that basic system is better than discretionary going back and forth in, in those noisy markets. So they will come with pain. And it's exactly at that point where you must not break. You must not break. Just continue following those rules because if you change them right then and there, You've changed the system and you'll get something different going forward and there's no no longer any reliability in in what you've tested for the past
1: So how can we do a better job uh, or, or how can we help investors better to not focus on on the recent performance how do we what do we I mean we've tried for decades. <laughs> <laughs> to to do this, um, and I got, I don't think we are really succeeding uh, to to some extent. We see succeeding with some, and and I think the comments from last week uh, where Jerry mentioned uh, one of your clients just coming back to you. I think it was in February, saying you know all I need to know is you're following your system and and things like that. So clearly there are some people out there who fully uh, understand, embrace, and understand the difficulty of sometimes following a system but the importance of it as well. Um, what else can we do? Uh, I mean,
2: I've, you... I've uh, really like the idea of showing clients charts. And here's a chart. And here's where we made the money. We got in here. We wrote it for a year or whatever. It's a really nice trend. And, and look how much money we made. And look how many opportunities we had in those 12 months or whatever uh, to get out. It was painfully... Uh, Painful drawdown here. It's, this has happened in the current crew trade quite often, where there's been three or four dollar drops over a period of a week or two, and uh, these don't feel good. But you know what? A week or two later, after that, they don't feel anything. They're like, "Oh yeah, that's what I do. I stay in those." But in the moment, it was like, "Oh my gosh! Is my system, Is there system failure here? I'm losing so much money. It's down four or five dollars from the high." that 's not something I pay attention to. my system is a breakout or a moving average i 've got another four or five dollars before i 'm going to get out. Oh my gosh, this is horrible. so what just uh, putting into their head what we see, which is look at that chart look 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 to see what kind of uh, toughness it took and what kind of system it took to maximize the profit on that trade that 's pretty much the one thing that I look at more than anything, not sharp. Um not really return specifically, but give me the uh give me the charts of the top ten or fifteen trades recently and let me let 's see how we did did mm. we stay too long were we too bold were we too short term and how did we maximize the profit this process of maximizing the profit and the opportunities we have we don 't always have a lot of opportunities uh the trends uh, can go away for a while, but then how did I do with the opportunities I had? And you're going to be one of the things we all like to do is take a quick take profits quicker than the computer says and the back test says we should. Yeah,
1: I think. I mean, I think. I think that's true. I think visualization of of these things because people. I mean, as as we all know, um, a lot of investors still feel that what we do is a black box, and even though we feel it's far from it. Uh, I think visualization in, in that way makes makes sense, and hopefully should build confidence uh, from from investors to see that. Yeah, I mean, it it did make sense what the system did, even though it it, it you know it was painful uh, along the way. Yeah,
2: reminds me of the topic we talked about a few weeks ago. The two hundred day moving average no longer works, um, and then on that in that article was a chart that showed. The past few times the S and P has gone below the 200-day moving average, it was a good buy. And if you watch these markets long enough, that's exactly what you see: is that um, these price movements most of the time don't really mean too much. Uh, You could be limit up today and limit down tomorrow, and it. uh, So, follow the system because just because most of the time it doesn't matter very much. It doesn't mean that the next time it goes below it could signal be a really great place to get short. But there really isn't any reason to get too excited about good price action or bad price action, because more than likely it's going to be much different over the next few days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a follow-up to that, which was <clears throat> didn't get as much popularity, but I think from my point of view, um CTA in business uh, for a long time and doing research and back testing, and listening to how other uh, traders describe their backtesting and their systems, I thought that um, this, this was um, one of my favorites, but not many other people. It was a follow-up to what, the one I just read, which is, however, these days we're much trickier. We program the algos to avoid the same pain quote, get me out before I lose too much money, unquote. We can claim to follow the rules, but the result can be the same. And I think that's what we're doing and are susceptible to these days. When I was a young trader starting out, I sat in front of a quote machine with a chart book and I filled in the daily open high low close with my pencil. And so I would sit there and get freaked out of about a big coffee move, or want to get out quicker, or avoid a trade, and definitely um, not. No one would say that was legitimate. You're not following the system. But now I think we have the temptation and the ability to program in those same bad uh, ideas to take small profits and um, somewhat over uh, have other features that prevent more of a traditional approach to just uh, following. Breakouts or moving averages or price trends. And we can say, well, it's just part of my rules. And yet it kind of does the same thing that we used to have to do just uh, you know, with when we didn't have uh, fancy computers and uh, people program them for us.
1: I think that's a great, great point. And it's very, very important, actually. Um, I remember just uh, in back in February when we had the, 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 the big correction in equities, which was really, really painful for uh, a lot of managers, including us, uh, even though it came at the back of a great uh, period, but still it felt uh, painful. And we had a lot of inquiries about people uh, asking, so what are you going to change to avoid this in the future? And the answer was really, well, probably nothing, um, because we're not here to try and fit our systems to avoid a three-day losing streak, however painful it is, if anything we look at uh, over the long term would decrease uh, in value just to avoid uh, that kind of event, so to speak. And I think that goes you know, to, to your point, Jerry, that... It's so easy, I guess, and it's also uh, tempting to try and continue to come up with changes to your system to um, to make it look smooth um, or smoother. Uh, I don't think trend followers will ever be smooth, but what it could be smoother, and um, and that's a really dangerous path to uh, to 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 go down on if you don't fully understand the consequences. Because every time you change your system, however, however little um you you run the risk of that change being quote unquote bad for your system um and so i know certainly on our side i don't know about you guys but 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 on our side we we rarely changes uh you know our our model it has to you know it can take years from before we we make a meaningful change to it because we really don't want to uh to to run that risk uh so to speak yeah
3: you certainly don't want to change it uh just uh just in response to a three-day downturn in the equities right it's just one of the things that we have to accept period and uh, you know sometimes i think and i actually once did that that exercise myself here on a spreadsheet is if only investors looked at performance numbers less frequently right i mean some of the some of the funds they report monthly numbers but if you reduce that to say um annual numbers, and you looked at CTA performance on an annual basis only, so there's one data point per year, right? Most of the volatility goes away, you don't see periods like uh, the week before last, right? You you don't you don't feel the pain, because it's no longer part of the data set. I know that's not what investors do, they want ideally to have even intraday prices, which I don't understand. Um, But it's kind of like our job to, to take the pain on a daily basis. Investors take the pain on a daily basis if they opt in and say, I also want to have a look at that on a daily basis. But why do that? If you've committed to make that a long-term investment, just look at it every once in a while. And a lot of that pain, I think, would just go away. And it's also like you know, you have – it's with the media the same thing. Um, You you have the week before last and news come up saying – trend following is no longer working there you have it it's down i don't know 4 5 6% or whatever the fund's lost and what what does that mean it's, it's just one week right you, uh, just um, completely besides the point
2: mm. now you're, <clears throat> you're making me think about all the tweets i've done over the years about private equity and it's as of there's lots of studies out there that says you know private equity is just pretty highly correlated to owning Small stocks, right? And uh, but but because it has some great features to it, and one of them is it doesn't report very often. There's exactly. no mark to market,
1: yeah.
2: And so we can talk bad about it and say, "Oh, that's crazy. That's not good." We're held to a much higher standard. Uh, but I think not only do the managers like it, but the clients like it. I think the clients are sick and tired of having to. Uh, print these reports and send them around to management and say, look how my stock traders or CTAs and hedge funds are doing. They report daily. Uh, I'm so happy that we have a lot of our portfolio in private equity and there's no change from yesterday. So <laughs> I think that, uh, not only, you know, the clients kind of prefer it. They're weak. You know, they don't, they don't know they can't trade. They just don't want to continue to deliver all this bad news. So I think that, um, I'm in the mutual fund business with daily liquidity, for God's sakes. So, don't listen to me. But I do think that that, uh, having a a CTA, where's the CTA out there who says, we refuse to report.
0: Um, Yeah, I refuse to tell
2: you what's going on until the end of the year. Uh, I had another tweet. I can't remember it, but it was something. It's got a lot of uh, love, which was um, 10-year money. 10-year money. I'll tell you, I'll give you your money back in 10 years and this was Howard Marks, I believe. And he said, uh, honestly, you're doing your clients a favor if you just lock it up for 10 years. And uh, of course, everyone knows that, but it's hard to do.
1: And there there are some, there's a couple of uh, managers I've seen where they're starting to ask for a lockup, even in a space uh, closer to the CTA space Um and, of course, we think initially, so why are they doing that? Are they going completely into illiquid stuff? But but maybe the truth is that actually it, it's a much better product for everyone to to do that. I was curious, Jerry, um, how, how do you balance innovation versus kind of change? I mean, clients want us to innovate or investors want us to innovate. They don't necessarily want us to change. And as, as we talked about just before... We also don't want to, um, you know, try and over, be too clever about what, what, what we look for in terms of research. How, how do you balance all of that on your side?
2: I'm baffled by <clears throat> the, the things I see and read from other managers about evolving, uh, thinking, uh, coming to mind, some of the interviews you yourself have done recently. And there's a huge emphasis on evolving, and I just don't get it. I mean, I think that it's perfectly fine for that trend following underperforms for a long period. It's going to always underperform. There's nothing we can do about it or that it stops working. I mean, these are perfectly acceptable uh, explanations. But I don't understand using less data, like let's just focus on less data. I think that's sort of the definition of some of the types of evolving I've heard of, if if the markets are changing and environments are changing and s- fundamentals are always changing, then what else could it be other than, well, we just got to look at less data. And that, mm-hmm. to me, does not ring true. That goes at the heart. That's putting a stake in the heart of trend following, where we rely upon large sample sizes and you know, doing back tests over many, many years, different environments and different economic uh um, inflation and no inflation. And then we say, oh, forget that. The markets have changed uh, less data and will overweight their most recent data or something. So, I'm a little baffled by it. I'm always making sort of improvements uh, uh, more from an understanding point of view. I fundamentally got something wrong and um, didn't handle the money management correctly. But when you look at all the data, like we like to do, all of the data, The chances that you're going to change a parameter um, or have a tremendous insight to have a material change, I think it gets less and less every day because you're just adding, um, you know, the more data you have, uh, the less I can really change. I think the CTAs, at least the way I trade, when the markets fundamentally change and what we do doesn't work, I'll probably be the last one to know because (laughs) the first 20 or 30 years of my data set – what we did was wonderful. It's great. And I believe it will come back and continue to be wonderful. But I'm really baffled by how one can evolve without uh, making the system less robust.
1: Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think that's another interesting conversation um, because I think with this wave of AI and machine learning that's coming, uh, you know, into our industry at the moment in these years, in which I'm sure will continue to to uh flood the headlines of some sort um we're going to clash with that in some ways. I mean some managers have started to adopt this I don 't know how successful uh frankly that they have been uh, in adopting AI into trend following um but I think the in the investors' mind uh w- w- you know they're going to be making the argument that well, you know we can now do machine learning and with AI we can analyze even more stuff and and so on and so forth and and so it's this constant battle between between constant change and learning versus sticking to something that has been robust which is not particularly optimized in any way shape or form but doesn't look you know it's not the perfect equity curve for sure um but it does work over time so i i don't i think that will i actually probably think it'll grow even further in terms of the debate uh about what 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 is the best approach um and uh, so yeah it's interesting any other uh, good tweets this week we seem to be on a roll here jerry
2: yes once again howard marks much not a trend follower i don't think he likes looking at prices only and following trends but a lot of he had an interview this week and it's a lot of um, deep deep, uh, good wisdom, and on a philosophical level, somehow the, I feel a kindred spirit to some of the things he says. Um, and, you know, one of my goals is to listen to traditional non-trend-following people and interpret it in my own way uh, as it relates and see it through the lens of trend-following. So his tweet was, um, or his quote was, uh, in order to get an above average return in the long run, you have to buy things for less than they're worth, which is to say that other people out there have to be willing, have to be selling that thing for less than it's worth. And so this is not an original thought of mine. I have a, other smart friends who mentioned this to me years ago, uh, something along the lines of uh, given that trend following has been profitable, you know, it has a, pro, it has a positive expectation <clears throat> buying the upside breakout must be buying things for less than they're worth. For 35 years, I've been taking advantage of that mistake. Mm-hmm. Hashtag anchoring. So I think um, <clears throat> buying the highs, whatever that means, the 50-day high, the 100-day high, getting long um, at a breakout level or a moving average crossover, You know, by definition, it's not the lowest price you've seen recently. And it doesn't sound very... Um, uh, like a bargain, <clears throat> why mm. uh, maybe I need a system that could have fought way way before that, and uh although I just I think what he 's what i 'm trying to say is your brain is anchoring that to that low of the chart or the recent lows, and how much fun it would have been to get low get long there, but that doesn 't mean that the upside breakout isn 't still buying something for less than it 's worth, I think by definition sure. it is. Uh, So don't feel bad about that. Um, Just remind ourselves that we are buying bargains. um, In hindsight, uh, when we have a good trend, where we got in was a really, really fun place to get in, really perfect place to get in. And the embedded risk control of waiting for a high versus trying to buy the low, you know, there's all sorts of advantages in that, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know we were talking about uh, something before we started recording today, and and it goes to this point about you know how people see something that's undervalued, or maybe they're missing something that's undervalued, and they tend to focus on things that actually are probably overvalued. And I used this example where I came across an interview with Michael Lewis, the 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 well-known author, and uh, he was talking. He was actually talking about his more recent books, but he had to go back to the book uh, called Moneyball to explain sort of the whole crux of the match and how he came to write a book about Daniel Kahneman and Amos Traversky. And, um, and it it went back to, I think his first, the first time he, he came into the locker room of the Oakland A's and he was watching the players uh, come out from the shower with very little uh, clothes on. And he was looking at these people and they, You know, people were overweight and some had, you know, some disfigured function, you know, on on their on their bodies. And then one had two club feet and they certainly weren't the perfect athletes when you saw them. And and he was making this argument to the management uh, of the Oakland A saying, well, if we line up all your players uh, up against the wall, uh, wearing very little clothes, then you ask someone, what do these people do? Nobody would guess that these are professional athletes. And the answer was really, well, that's the point um because what they were looking for were not the best looking players they were not looking for um people who um essentially looked good i mean they they actually go on to to the example of saying people or or players who looked good <laughs> visually look good they would they tend to be overvalued whilst people who didn't really look like a football player. Um, even though they had a very important role and 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 value uh would typically be undervalued and i think it's a little bit the same uh just in a completely different uh way of course um and that is that we we tend to look at things that that looks good when we for example analyze uh, investment strategies while things that you know are, is less attractive certainly trend following would fall into that camp um you know is, is is often overlooked or dismissed um and the same with entry points and exit points we we you know the perfect entry point you know yeah sure but how many people really are, can identify the perfect entry point right so um yeah so it's an interesting interesting discussion anything on your side moritz or should we try and tackle some questions for for this week
3: yeah, not not too much. I mean, I know it's, it's uh, we're, we're buying those points, we're buying those highs. And, and hopefully later on, they uh, prove to be great entry points and bargains. And at the time we entered the trade, you know, visually, they, they haven't looked like that. And just one thing comes to mind there. I have um, I remember being asked, you know, looking at a chart, and the chart has been in an uptrend. And the question was kind of like, what would you do? Would you at that point? So the most recent data point. Would you would you buy or sell? And then you know the thing has been going up. I was like, uh, well, neither. I just stay long. And <laughs> the person looked at me like, well, that wasn't my question. You're not answering my question. Would you buy that or sell that? I, I probably bought that month ago because it's been going up. Um, that's just what we do. It, you know, those entries they are. Uh, uh you know, there's they, they don't look always um that rational on a chart, but we take them.
1: Sure, sure, sure. Well, we have lots of questions. So I'm gonna try and get to as many as we possibly can to today. So apologize to to those of you who have sending questions where we don't get to it this week, but we are gonna tackle some questions from, from George that came through uh Twitter. Um, and so there are several of them. So let's uh, let's just jump in. Question number one is talk about optimization in general. I'm going to add a few more of these questions to put a little bit of color on it, and maybe you can then uh, talk uh, to that. Uh, do you backtest portfolios in aggregate or as parts, and then you combine it? Uh, if you test things as an aggregate portfolio, offense levels... Uh, maybe that's a typo, but levels of optimizations become basically unsolvable due to too many permutations. What do you do, anyways? Something about optimization and backtesting. Who wants to uh, who wants to jump in on this? Maybe you, Jerry.
2: Well, we um, <clears throat> test each market individually using the same system and parameters, and uh, then we combine those results and see what we have Um, from uh, we use the same money management so um, so we sort of know we sort of know what probably is going to work with the range and how we want to do things so really the great thing about uh, trend following is that um, a whole group of parameters will work pretty well they'll have different performance over a year or two but most of the systems that we use, in the, which is just pretty much the same uh, way of, of trading, but with different parameters, they make about the same amount of money you know, over a 15-, 20-year period. Um, so I don't really see any benefit in uh, optimizing. I, really what we try to do is say, okay, let's check out these parameters and try to come up with um, the shortest term we want to trade, and then we check out some more and we say, okay, this is probably the longest term we want to trade. It's, and then we may just trade everything in between, and with without regard to actual performance. Of, uh, we're not going to pay too much attention to the performance, and thus we're not going to really feel the need to optimize too much. We're, the critical thing is we're going to add all those trades together. We're going to look at those stats, the trade stats, average win, average loss, winning percentage. Take a look at the theoretical. Uh, hypothetical performance on a monthly basis, let's say, but uh, we're going to treat those trades as, as 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 if it's just all the same markets and not not look at the shorts differently from the longs. It's all just one group of trades. Now look at grains different from currencies. It's all one group of trades, as if it's just all the same market. And we're going to say, okay, this trade has an this system has an average expectation of X and win percentage of Y, and we're happy. And it handles once again. How does it handle the big moves? I think overlaying your system on top of a Bitcoin chart—that's uh, pretty brutal. Chart a lot of profit there. How are you going to stay in that trade to the till it peaks, and then how are you going to get out of there with um, some reasonable profit? So I think uh, analyzing tough charts, tough markets, tough moves—it'll tell you a lot about your system.
1: Yeah. What about you, uh,
0: Moritz?
3: Um, just like Jerry, I mean, of course, we look at, you know, different parameter sets. I mean, like Jerry, I'm, you know, looking at each market individually, but treating all the markets in the same way, treating the longs and the shorts in the same way, that's important. So, I don't want to, you know, specify specific parameters just for certain markets. That That's not a good recipe for success. But Obviously, looking at like different trend speeds, um, and you will see that you know certain speeds or time frames they work better on some markets than on others. There comes the point though where you have to make a decision, right? How short term do you want to be? How much trading cost does that involve? How long term do you want to be? Maybe that's larger drawdowns, but uh, larger profits at the end of the day um, over the long term. Those are decisions you have to make, and you know, look at parameter sensitivity. There's always you know, that sweet spot that you can find where you say, well, if it's like the 114 day breakout for, well, I'm not saying that's the number, but that's the best, right? Well, maybe that's not the one you want to take. Maybe you want to find an area where things have, uh, on average, worked reasonably well, and then just be fine with that. Apply to the overall portfolio, use the same money management, risk management rules, across all the markets and the portfolio And then I focus a lot of my time on on adding diversification to the portfolio. Diversification can be added through new markets, different markets, but again, trading them the same way, just, you know, having different bets on because they react differently at different points in time and and system diversification, right? So um, like Jerry said, I mean, you can find, you'll find trend following systems that over a 15, 20, 25 year period produce about the same amount of money, but to get from point A to point B, they take slightly different path. So you can get some diversification by, you know, combining different methods into one portfolio. Um, But again, none of those is highly over-engineered, over-optimized for anything because, and they don't even have that much many parameters. You know, any of those additional parameters that that I add, like here's another profit target, here's another early exit, here's another this or that, that will smooth my historical equity curve and increase the sharp ratio, and make things better, but that will only work in the rear mirror mirror. And and that data set that you know we've looked at in the past and that we've used to optimize the system is so unlikely to occur again in the future that it just um, you know. It looks good in the past, but there's just no expectancy for that in the future.
1: Sure. So we probably do something uh, similar, yet uh, a little bit different. So, of course, we also trade you know, all markets the same way. We treat them individually and so on and so forth. But we do do something different, or we have done in the last 12 years. And that is we essentially look at many, many different Uh, combinations of parameters, um, you know, hundreds of combination of parameters. And then we have an automatic selection process. Um, And um, in the old days, uh, when we first started doing this, we could simply only run it once a month uh, because it took so long to compute. Um, But nowadays, we, we, we actually do it every week um it allows us to uh and and often very often there will be no change uh in the lineup so to speak uh, because we want to select a subset of all of these parameter combinations that we quote unquote think are the best based on certain rules all of this is systematic it's automated and i don't think necessarily that performance changes a lot whether you did this on an annual basis or quarterly basis or weekly basis but it uh, it does allow us to make very only very small adjustments when we do see uh, a change in parameter combinations, which helps us not to show any footprint in the markets from a trading point of view. But it also allows the model to evolve over time or to recalibrate, I would say, because it's not changing; it's not a different model. It's just recalibrating itself. And so, what we what we may see, for example, is that. The time horizon of our look back period could shift from say more medium term at times to more longer term at times and so on and so forth so you know just a different way to approach uh that point i think a lot of this goes mostly to some extent at least mostly towards sort of entry points and so on and so forth and actually it's my belief that the the least important thing we do um is probably the entry i think the exits and the risk management are are more important but so so we do it differently uh to to answer your question george uh, about these things um but in general it's the same philosophy about treating all markets equal being fully diversified etc etc. So great questions. Appreciate that. George had a few extra questions that I will try to um, write. So the, the next question he has is, how do you determine when a model is broken? Do you fix broken parts of the model or just the whole? Uh, if a backtest includes markets that don't make money over the life, do you reoptimize those markets or let them ride? Question mark. I think we've touched a little bit upon this, but maybe you want to deal with the question about the model being broken and how do we how do we fix that? Do you want to start on this one more no, or the, Jared? the
2: second question is much easier. We just um <laughs> you know, if you it's inevitable that you're gonna have some once you've done your your testing and your research, you're you're happy with your system, it makes good money and uh, you're going to have a couple markets in there that underperform lose money and then some that are amazingly great uh, so you don't do anything with either of those you size the, uh we we size weight those markets on the portfolio uh we pay no attention to historical performance uh, let's say wheat is uh not a good performer cocoa bean oil uh they're great because they add diversification so they get an equal weighting with uh, the yen and the crude that are probably the best money makers, let's say, and mm-hmm. and some stock out there, of course, um, but they get a weighting uh, that's based upon their contribution to, por- to the portfolio based on correlation only. All trades make the same amount of money. Well, wait a second, we lost money. Okay, that's another show. We'll get into that, but trust me, they all make. We we need to assume that their expectation for every trade is the same. Um, when a system is broken, I think. Um, you know, it's that's a tough question. Uh, trend following looks broken um, mm-hmm. because there's no trends now. Okay, so my system, though, let's say we we have a good trend period, and uh, I still think that it's not it's broken. And I'm too short term. I'm too long term. That's where I'd start looking and asking questions. Uh, I got out too quickly. I had a big profit. And I gave back too much profit. I'm, I don't have the um, Bitcoin. you know how did I do in a choppy market? I'm gonna do well. I'm gonna do really well in a choppy uptrend, crude heating oil because I am longer term. I'm not getting shaken out. <clears throat> market goes back to the highs. I didn't get out. Uh, a parabolic trade like Bitcoin and some of the amazing monster trends. I didn't even need to be long-term because it was like straight up. Then, okay, how are you going to get out of that trade when it finally does turn around and, uh, with, and not give back all your profits very quickly as it sort of crashes? I think that's a problem these days is the crashing in the stocks and in all the markets. Um, so how am I handling these individual trades that where there's a lot of profit opportunity maybe that's what i'm looking at first rather than looking at the back test maybe.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. now i think that's an important point also uh, to to uh, reiterate is this thing about yes you can have markets that actually have not produced a profit for for years yet they have an important they can still play an important role in the portfolio. i seem to remember If I was looking at uh, performance attribution, say, a couple of years ago and looking back in time, I don't think we had made a lot of money in equities, uh, you know, leading into 2017, yet since 2017, um, it's all equities to a large extent. So you want to be careful with, uh, and I completely agree, that's certainly something we found on our side as well. And that is in the very long run, whether it's 20, 30 or 40 years, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter, but it's a very long run. We believe all markets will be able to produce the same level of performance. We see no reason why that should not be the case. Um, so, so uh, yeah. Anything you want to add uh, on your side, Moritz?
3: Um, um, yeah, sure. I mean, just I mean, what, what what I do is just I I sit back, look at the markets, and ask myself: Is the system doing what it's supposed to do given that market environment? And if there are no trends, we're trading a trend-following system. We're not expecting to be making money, so the system is exactly doing what it's supposed to do, and and so that that is a a question that I ask myself all the time. Like, did something change? Um, is is this now behaving in a different way than I was, you know, I'm expecting it to behave? And and you know, the the answer is thus far no. And and then also, um, I want to be objective about about the time periods here. I mean, even if you know we have you know 3 years in a row where performance hasn't been as good as it has been in the past if uh, if i can test a system for 30 years and i have a 30 year record on that then 3 years that's like 10% of that sample size and just you know statistically speaking at 10% i mean this is just not large enough a a set um or a quantity to arrive at any conclusion and say it's broken so you know, I think we're coming back to that point of, um, you know, how frequently do you observe those type of things, and and how long does the pain last? It, you know, it may last you know four or five years, and I still wouldn't say the system is broken because it's not yet enough data to jump to that conclusion. Um, of yeah. course, I'm following, I'm following. You know what I read. I mean, is how much money is there in trend following? Are, are we all trying to hit on the same thing? Is that having an impact? Um, well, I, I don't know that. I I don't have a one hundred percent firm opinion on that at that point. But you know, those are the type of things that I'm mindful of and I'm, I'm looking out for. Um, and um, yeah, that's I think that's the most important thing for me.
1: Sure. No, absolutely. Now George had a third tweet with the final questions. I think those are these some of these questions. Uh, by the way, we've already hit on, so maybe we just want to hit on the ones that that um, you know you feel we have not already discussed. Uh, but he goes on to ask: uh, Do you do market level optimization? Do you avoid? Cur- How do you avoid curve fitting? At some level, all systematic becomes discretionary. How do you choose the best parameters? Uh, best backtest result, most logical, so to speak. Um, any final thoughts on on these type of questions? Uh, I think we already talked about parameters, so to uh, earlier on.
2: <clears throat> yeah, it's. I think uh, there, you know, obviously there's a little bit of um, preference, uh, personal preference on what uh, is important to you. You know, sharp, I think, is uh, important to a lot of people. Um, I've already said I like uh, average win, average loss, the ratio of average win divided by average loss, percentage of winning trades. I don't want to pay too much attention to the uh, theoretical back test, the theoretical equity curve. Uh, How frequently am I going to make money? My 12-month rolling uh, rate of return or – so I think – that's where a lot of it comes in and I'll choose different parameters or different ways of trading than other people. Um, and so I think maybe that's what he's asking. And I think that's fine. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, so I, it's, it's some level there will be, once we look at the analysis of uh, the, the runs and the systems, we have to make a decision, how are we going to do things? So I guess there is a little bit of discretion in there and, Uh, but I don't think it's bothersome. It's, it's obvious.
1: Sure. Sure, no, I agree. I mean, there is obviously subjectivity in the research process, um, but once it's past the research process, at least on our side, there's no further subjectivity or discretion. It's all uh, rule-based, and that's also why we decided to um, automate the parameter selection, so there was no, you know, quarterly or annual meeting saying, "Oh, we need to allocate a little bit more to this time frame or to this time frame." I mean, we we wanted to avoid that, but it doesn't mean that that's the right way to do it. It's just our way of doing it uh, for sure any final thoughts on on, on this question from you Moritz so
3: well we are um, active systematic managers right I mean you uh, design a system that is that is your preference that's your choice um, you set the rules in stone uh, you run with it now that like we I think uh, said in another episode already there there may be points where you decide to make changes to those rules maybe minor changes maybe changes in the money management rules maybe you're adding more markets that is all the active part of that right it's it's not passive buy and hold you always do the thing for the rest of your the same thing for the rest of your life that that's not what it is but the rules may change ever so slightly it doesn't impact or affect the character that there's still a trend following model that's highly diversified across many different markets that we trade that's always going to be there and and you know When we have the rules and they're ready to go,
2: I'll just go with them. I really like your idea, Niels. I think that's perfect. I don't know if I would agree with it the way it's executed or I'd have to just know more uh, specifically. But uh, I really think it's a great goal for everyone is to um, put this systematic approach in place with an eye towards, you know, I'd really like not to really have to offer too much discretion and uh, emotion for the next 100 years. How can I possibly even have the, in a good, robust, scientific way, have the computer choose my parameters? And uh, I think this is a very, very good, interesting idea, and I, I like it. I don't do it. It's it's work. I mean, sometimes it's uh, more work to program things than it is just to do it by hand, but I, uh, I admire that, and I think it's a really good mindset that we're going to be so systematic that even when we make changes, we're not going, we're going to do as little as we can uh, ourselves and be committed to more of a scientific process. Maybe that's what machine learning
3: and AI are going to do at some point.
1: Well, in a sense, we 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 you know machine learning is nothing new, right? We've 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 had it. Uh, it's just becoming maybe more more popular and more advanced with, you know, the the changes to uh, what computers can do. But the the idea of of choosing certain things within trend following and also because trend following is generally a slow moving, you know, strategy. It's, it's certainly doable. This was, you know, it's funny because we've made three major changes in the last uh, 12 years or so. Um, And this was the first one. So, so this goes back to 2006 uh, having automation in our parameter selection. So, uh, so it's actually nothing new uh, in that sense. Um, But maybe as Jerry says, maybe more and more, people will go down that uh, route as well. Well, anyway, George, thanks so much for all your insightful questions. We appreciate it. And uh, I know there are more. Uh, There are, uh, among others, questions from Paul, whom I know and came in to me uh, just a couple of days ago. But I will defer those questions, Paul, to next week. Sorry about that. Um, but we are approaching the hour mark, and we certainly want to respect your time and um and not take up uh too much of your um of your weekend or whenever you're listening to uh to this um i I also just want to run down some of the performance numbers as we always do. Uh, and these are numbers as of Thursday night, um, so the 18th of October, and I'm not so sure how much really happened on Friday, so maybe they're not that different. So the BTOP50 index is down 2.9% in October, down 54 for the year. SOCGEN CTA is down 358 for the month, down 692 for the year. The SOCGEN trend index is down 537 for the month, and down 8.38 for the year. And finally, the, uh, well, not finally, but the SockGen's short-term traders index is down about 10 basis points for the month, up 0.28 for the year. And the Bridge Alternatives Index, which is a flat fee index uh, of uh, index of flat fee funds, down 3.92 for the month and down 9.46 for the year. Any final thoughts, ideas, suggestions anything you can come up with that we should leave our listeners with before we wrap up this week's conversation happy trading <laughs> Happy <laughs> trading as always happy trading yes that's right anything on your side um jerry springs to mind
2: I'll keep the questions coming and uh, direct message on Twitter. And thanks for your patience, George, hanging in there. And uh, (laughs) we want to be responsive and we want to be there and be encouragement for everyone.
1: Absolutely. And I, I think a lot of, I mean, my, my I sensed right now that a lot of the questions are coming from people who are on the same side as we are of the business, sort of the manager side, but I certainly would encourage uh, people who are on the investor side uh, to also put forward questions to us. Um, uh, we, we certainly can't think of, uh, you know, and, and we don't think of all... The, uh, the important issues that that you may uh, also want to uh, debate. So in order for us to include that in our conversations, we, we really do appreciate and encourage um, all of these things coming in. So anyway, on that note, uh, let's wrap up uh, this week's conversation. We hope that you have enjoyed it just as much as we enjoy making them for you. And if you felt you got something out of it, please share and why not leave us a rating and review on iTunes, it really does help. So from Jerry Moritz and me, thank you so much for listening and we look forward to being back with you next week.